0: Welcome to Why Did Jesus Die? A special program for Easter from American Family Radio featuring Dr. Ray Pritchard. Ray is president of Keep Believing Ministries and a frequent co-host of today's issues. Our prayer during this time of difficulty is to encourage you and point you to Christ, our comfort and our hope. And now, here's Ray with Why Did Jesus Die? Why Did Jesus Die? Thoughtful people have pondered that question for 2,000 years. When we read the Gospels, the record looks something like this. He was a good man, a very good man, who went around doing good. Even his enemies testified to his integrity. He couldn't be bribed or pressured or threatened or intimidated. He healed the sick, raised the dead, caused the blind to see, made the lame to walk, and he preached the good news to the poor. The common people heard him gladly. So, how did he end up dying on a Roman cross? What crime had he committed that would allow this seeming miscarriage of justice? The question is not theoretical. When Mel Gibson's movie, Passion of the Christ, became a mega hit in 2004, the question hit the headlines. For a brief moment in time, Jesus became fashionable again. Reporters discussed the movie and then talked about what the death of Christ meant. In response to the movie, John Piper wrote a short book called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. When I read it, I was struck by this statement near the beginning. Quote, the most important question of the 21st century is, why did Jesus Christ come to die? Close quotes. Not many people would, I suppose, pick why did Jesus die as the most important question of the 21st century. We might ask, why is there so much suffering in the world? Or, will there ever be world peace? Or even, how can I know God? As the central questions of our age. But if you dig deeper, you can see what John Piper is getting at. All the other great questions of our time lead us back to ultimate questions about God and His purposes in the world. We will never understand God until we understand the cross. No chapter helps us more in that quest than Isaiah 53. In this message, we are approaching the Mount Everest of the Old Testament. Spurgeon called this chapter, the Bible in miniature, the gospel in its essence. It is as if Isaiah somehow had a front row seat at Golgotha and personally witnessed the terrible suffering of our Lord. This is the very heart of the gospel, and the heart of the heart comes in Isaiah 53, 4-6. No passage more clearly expresses the why behind the death of Christ. As we begin to look at these verses, we must see how many times Isaiah uses our and we And us, our griefs, our sorrows, we esteemed him, our transgressions, our iniquities. His chastisement brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. We have gone astray. We have turned the iniquities of us all. Nothing in this passage makes sense until you feel the full weight of this truth. Jesus died for us what he did he did for us what he suffered was for us the pain and the brutality and the indignity of the cross it was all for us from our perspective we may say that Jesus was betrayed tried beaten mocked humiliated crowned with thorns convicted in a kangaroo court falsely accused beaten until his skin was shredded, forced to carry his own cross, and then publicly crucified, the most brutal form of execution in his day. If we focus on those events, we may come to the conclusion that Jesus shouldn't have died, that it was all a big mistake, that somehow the powers of darkness finally triumphed over the light. The Bible never denies the moral culpability of those who put Jesus to death. In Acts 2.23, Peter says, This Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So, it is perfectly proper for us to say that Jesus was murdered by his enemies. His blood is on their hands. But that is not the end of the story. Far from it. The Bible writers unite to declare that Jesus laid down his own life, that no one took it from him. J. C. Ryle offers this perceptive comment. He did not die because he could not help it. He did not suffer because he could not escape. All the soldiers of Pilate's army could not have taken him if he had not been willing to be taken. They could not have hurt a hair on his head if he had not given them permission. That brings us to the real message of Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. As you read these verses, let your heart be warmed by this thought, that Jesus died on purpose, not by accident, but so that sinners like you and me could be saved. You are in the we, and so am I. You and I are in the us for whom Christ died. Our Lord's suffering was not his fault, it was ours. The more personally we read this passage, the more the death of Christ will mean to us. Three simple statements open up the meaning of these verses. Number one, he took our pain. Verse four, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. When Isaiah speaks of what Christ has done for us, He does not start with our sin and our guilt. That comes later. He begins instead with our infirmities. The text says, Christ has borne our griefs. It's a Hebrew word that means to lift up and carry away a heavy load. It was used in Leviticus 16 for the scapegoat who carried away the sins of the nation. That's the idea here. Jesus came to lift the heavy burden of sadness brought about by our sin and by the pain of living in a sinful world. Perhaps you know the famous gospel song that begins this way, what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. We have many griefs because we live in a fallen world. We have many sorrows because we ourselves are fallen people. We need someone who can bear our grief when the burden is too heavy for us. Colin Smith explains it this way. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrow. That must include the division in your family, the loss of your job, the death of your husband, and the pain of your past. In Christ, we do not have some far-off God, some distant deity, but in Him, We find a God who drew near to us, who came to us, who entered our world and became one of us, that he might carry our sorrows for us. Your pain will not have the last word. Your sorrows will not last forever. Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Guinness tells the following story in his book, No God, But God. The story goes like this. In one of their periodic efforts to eradicate religious belief in the Soviet Union, the Communist Party sent KGB agents to the nation's churches on a Sunday morning. One agent was struck by the deep devotion of an elderly woman who was kissing the feet of a life-size carving of Christ on the cross. Babushka, grandmother, he said, are you also prepared to kiss the feet of the beloved General Secretary of our great Communist Party. Why, of course, came the immediate reply, but only if you crucify him first. No other god has wounds. Where else can you find a savior like that? Here is the second great truth. He took our punishment. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Verse 5. He was pierced as with a spear. He was crushed, pulverized, broken, crowned to pieces. Upon him was the chastisement, beaten with a whip. By his wounds, his body cut, bruised, his skin flayed, It is not always appreciated that our Lord Jesus died in terrible pain. If you run the clock back from 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Good Friday, the moment of his death, to about 1 o'clock in the morning and review what happened to Jesus as he moves through those hours, what you discover is that our Lord has been through 14 hours of torture, arrested in the middle of the night. Slapped, pushed around, mocked, slapped again, crowned with thorns that went into his scalp, scourged with a large strap, studded with bits of bone and stone and metal. His beard ripped out, beaten again and again, forced to carry his own cross, nails driven through his hands and feet, crucified. At this point, a strange question comes to mind. Was Jesus a failure? You could make a case that the answer is yes. Just look at his life. He was born into an unimportant family, in an unimportant village, in a forgotten corner of the Roman Empire. He was ignored. He was taken for granted. He was laughed at. When he speaks, the powers that be want nothing to do with him, He faces ridicule, opposition, and misunderstanding all his life. In the end, he is crucified like a criminal. His sufferings in those last few hours are unspeakable. When he dies, he appears to be yet one more forgotten footnote in history. Working with the facts on one level, you could make the case that our Lord was a failure. But his death is not the end of the story. Jesus did not fail in what he came to do. He perfectly fulfilled the Father's will. Look what we have in return. We have peace with God. The word means wholeness, health, the absence of war and safety. In a messed up world filled with broken people and broken promises through Christ, we have peace that passes all human understanding. We are healed. We are healed from our guilt Healed from our hatred, healed from our doubt, and healed from our shame. Through Christ, broken people are put together again. Was Jesus a failure? No, he took our sin, he bore our pain, and through his death on the cross, he healed us from the inside out so that we now live in peace. And here's the third great truth, he took our place. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, we have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Someone has said that Isaiah 53:6 is the John 3:16 of the Old Testament, because this verse makes the way of salvation so clear that we cannot miss it. Note that all is the first and the last word of verse 6. We have all sinned. We have all gone astray. We have all missed the mark. We have all turned to our own way. Let me pause for a moment and give a Bible quiz. Most of us know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Here's the question. Do you know the last phrase of verse 22? I have asked this question across America, and rarely does anyone know the answer. We know verse 23, but we don't know verse 22. We ought to know the answer because the last phrase of verse 22 is the key to verse 23. Here it is. For there is no difference. No difference between rich and poor. No difference between young and old. No difference between men and women. No difference between American and Chinese. We're Bulgarians and Congolese, or Brazilians and Bengalis. We all stand condemned by our sin, and all of us are under the judgment of God. That's why verse 23 says, For all have sinned. Our sins may not be exactly the same. That is to say, you may sin in your way. I certainly sin in my way. But we are all sinners nonetheless. Friends, we're all in the same boat. The boat has sprung a huge leak, and the boat is going down. If God doesn't do something, we're all going to die. At this point, we encounter the great, glorious good news of the gospel. God has done something. He could have looked down at the mess we made and said, they deserve it. They blew it. They messed up. Now let them face the consequences. If God had said that, he would be 100% justified. God was under no obligation to rescue us when we wandered astray. We said, leave me alone. God said, I can't do that. Which is why verse 6 says, and the Lord laid on him. That's Jesus. That's the great servant of the Lord who came from heaven to the earth and on a divine rescue mission, the greatest rescue mission in history. God laid our sins on Jesus. That's the doctrine of substitution. That's the heart of the gospel. He took my place when he died. God laid my sins on him. Now, let's suppose that all your sins have been written in one massive book. What I mean is that from the moment of your birth, Until the moment of your death, God recorded in a massive book every sinful deed you've done, every sinful word you have spoken, and every sinful thought that has ever passed through your mind. That book is heavy because it records every rotten thing you've ever said, every unkind word you have ever spoken, every mean thought, every lustful fantasy, every evil imagination, and all of your bad attitudes from the day of your birth until the day of your death. My friend, that book would be so heavy you could never pick it up on your own. Now, picture yourself trying to hold that massive book in your hands. Now, picture Jesus standing next to you. He is holy, perfect, pure, and good. He has no book in his hands because he never sinned. You want to be rid of the book, but you can't seem to find a place to put it down. What will you do? Now, picture Jesus on the cross with the full weight of millions of books, not just your book, but millions of books and billions of books, the books of the records of the sins of every man and every woman and every boy and every girl that ever lived on planet Earth millions and millions of those books, the record of all of our sins upon his bleeding back. He bears that crushing weight as long as he can. Then he dies. Look closely and you will see that each book is the personal record of someone who lived on this earth. If you look closely, you can see your book too. My friend, he took your sins, the record of all your evil and all your failings and all your shortcomings, He took it all upon himself when he died on the cross. Truly, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Would you like to go to heaven? You can. Isaiah 53 records the good news we all need. He was bruised for us. He was wounded for us. He was beaten, betrayed, mocked, scourged, crowned with thorns, crucified, all for us. Our sins drove Jesus to the cross, but he did not go unwillingly. If our sins drove him there, it was his love for us that kept him there. If you want to go to heaven, pay attention to Isaiah 53:6. Remember that it begins and ends with the little word, all. One man gave his testimony this way. I stooped down low and went in at the first all. Then I stood up straight and walked out at the last all. The first all tells us that we are sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. The last all tells us that Christ has paid the price for our sins because the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. Go in at the first all and come out at the last all and you will discover the way of salvation when president dwight eisenhower was hospitalized for the final time before he died billy graham paid him a visit they had a long frank honest discussion about the gospel and about what it takes to go to heaven at one point president eisenhower asked billy Can an old sinner like me ever go to heaven? Billy Graham assured him that even old sinners can go to heaven by trusting Jesus Christ. But there is good news, good news for old sinners, young sinners, big sinners, small sinners, and everyone in between. What I mean is there's good news for you and there's good news for me. Jesus has paid the price in full so that you can go to heaven. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or how bad your record might be. If you know you are a sinner, you can be saved. How can I be so sure about that? Well, here is the answer. I can be sure about that because Jesus was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. In 1875, Philip Bliss wrote a hymn based on Isaiah 53, called Hallelujah, What a Savior. Speaking of this song, Ira Sankey, a composer and musician who served with the great evangelist D.L. Moody, says, A few weeks before his death, Mr. Bliss visited the state prison in Jackson, Michigan, where, after offering a very touching address on the man of sorrows, he sang this hymn with great effect. Many of the prisoners dated their conversion From that day, here are the words to that hymn. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was He, Full atonement can it be! Hallelujah! What a Savior! Lifted up was He to die, It is finished was His cry, Now in heaven exalted high! Hallelujah! What a Savior! When He comes, our glorious King, All His ransom home to bring, Then anew His song will sing, Hallelujah. What a Savior. How do we receive God's gift of salvation? Simply by asking for it. Do you know in your heart that you want Christ in your life? You may have him today. This is the wonder of the gospel. Do not say, I'll do my best and come to Christ later. That is the language of hell. You cannot be saved as long as you hold to your notions of goodness. If you want to be saved, remember these four words. Run to the cross. Run to the cross and lay hold of Jesus Christ, who loved you and died for you. God is fully satisfied with the work of His Son. Remember that the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Do you believe that? If you have any stirring in your heart, any sense of your need, Any desire to be saved by grace, that desire has been placed in your heart by God. Now the rest is up to you. Run to the cross where Jesus waits to meet you. Why did Jesus die? He died so that sinners like you and me could go to heaven. The old preachers used to end their sermons by saying, Won't you come? Won't you come to Jesus? That's my last word to you. Won't you come? Won't you come to Jesus? You've been listening to Why Did Jesus Die? featuring Dr. Ray Pritchard. If you'd like to learn more about Keep Believing Ministries, connect with Ray, or hear this program again, visit keepbelieving.com. This has been an American Family Radio special presentation.